This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. Page 142. We're in the middle of the eighth letter. And just to recap, it was based on the davening in the morning. We say that Hashem sows tzedakahs, which causes deliverance to sprout forth. That through tzedakah, by sowing, planting tzedakah, it gives birth, it sprouts Yeshua, help, deliverance. This is based on the verse in Hosea and the prophets that sow for yourself tzedakah and you will reap according, accordingly. And the question was, why the connection, why the usage of the analogy? Analogy also has to make some sense. What's the connection between planting and tzedakah? You should, it would make more sense to say, you acquire, by giving money, you acquire deliverance. What's the analogy of planting a seed, tzedakah? And why specifically, of all the 613 mitzvot, why specifically... Tzedakah, that only through the mitzvah of tzedakah is it planting and it gives its sprouts deliverance. And he quoted the Talmudic passage that Rabbi Lazar, Rabbi Lazar, the great, who is known, he was known for his greatness in Torah and also for his greatness in tzedakah. As a matter of fact, we had earlier discussed the idea of tzedakah, how each penny adds up and it, it creates a shield, letter number three. That was also a saying by Rabbi Lazar. This, he was, that was his theme, tzedakah. And he, before he would daven in the morning, he would go seek out and search for a poor person and give him a penny. And then he would daven. And he based it on a verse. It says in the verse... It says in the psalm that I will see your face, which refers to prayer, but first, only by giving tzedakah, then I'll have the ability to see your face. And he explained that through davening. Davening is a time when we see Hashem's face. Hashem's inner self, His infinite self. Because davening is a time when we try to experience a level of egolessness, self-nullification, which only comes from the revelation of Hashem Himself. That's why we discuss in davening how the angels are overwhelmed, the malachim, with a tremendous uh, tumult. When someone is overwhelmed, something is beyond him. When there's a revelation, it's beyond your capacity to receive, to absorb. So you're overwhelmed by it and it means that the angels are experiencing the revelation of Hashem's infinite self, transcendent self, which evokes that response that they jump out of themselves, they're jumping out of their skin, they're all excited, there's a tumult, a commotion. And from that illumination illuminates our minds, our hearts and our soul. 
during davening. And this is the kindness of Hashem. It's a pure act of tzedakah. Because it's not something that we can earn. Just like a real tzedakah, real kindness, is not even a response to a need. Response to a need, there's a reason behind it. That person is in need, and that's why I'm helping him. It doesn't make sense that I should be gorging myself in steaks and uh, luxuries while the other person is dying. If, I can have, if I'm in a position to help him, I'll help him. So it, when a person is in need, there's a rationale, there's a reason for the kindness. It's not totally, completely gratuitous kindness. Real chesed is a gratuitous kindness. There's no need, there's no obligation. Because the mitzvah of tzedakah is to fulfill a person's need. You don't have to go beyond his need. Now the need could be very generous. The need could be even if he, if he needs a servant running in front of him announcing his presence. If that's his need, then that's his need. You're obligated to give it to him. But beyond his need, need is a very personal subjective thing, but beyond his need, you're not obligated. A true act of kindness, a gratuitous act of kindness is when you go beyond his need. You're not obligated to make him rich. But when a person is really chesed, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there's no... And yet you give it to him anyway. So when Hashem gives us this illumination of his transcendent self, this is a pure act of chesed, a pure act of kindness. And this comes from the nature of Hashem. Kindness is compared to water. The nature of water is that water flows from the top and finds the lowest place. That's the nature of water, kindness. It finds a need and it's there to help and to elevate and to pick up and to find the lowest place. And just like water, it's the exact same water that was above, the exact same water is below. So Hashem reveals His transcendent self and He reveals it here below to us, to the human being, flesh and blood, in the body, struggling with all our negativity and struggling with all our mashagas. And yet Hashem reveals His infinite self and gives us a taste that we can experience Hashem Himself. This is a pure act of kindness. So Hashem is interactive in order for us to be able to receive this act of kindness. In order to see your face, your inner, we have to give tzedakah. When we give tzedakah, that's where Abba Lazar went and found the poor person. It wasn't as he waited till the poor person came to him and knocked on his door. Then you have, you have no choice, you have to give him. But to go and seek a poor person the first thing in the morning, you didn't even daven yet, to run and find a poor person I can help. This is a real act of chesed. So when you do a real act of chesed, way beyond your obligation, a gratuitous act of kindness, this evokes a response from Hashem. Hashem will do with us an act of chesed and show His face and smile and reveal His face and illuminate our soul. We can taste and experience godliness, Hashem's transcendent self. We can reach a level of egolessness and completely be absorbed and lose ourselves in that experience of experience in Dabit. But now the question is, it's going to ask, since this is an act of kindness, Hashem's kindness is compared to water, then it's natural. Why do we need our act of tzedakah, our act of chesed, to evoke Hashem's response? Even without our act of tzedakah, Hashem on His own. Hashem is so kind, He's looking for kindness, water finds its way, with or without your help. Whether you like it or not, water is going to find its way to the lowest, lowest place. So Hashem's kindness should illuminate us even without our, our interaction. And that's what he's going to explain now.
However, the following must be understood, since the divine illumination must inevitably result from Hashem's attribute of kindness and His, and his tzedakah, why is man's service necessary at all? The author Rebbe answers this question by explaining that parallel to the above attribute, there also exists a divine attribute of severity and contraction that seeks to limit and screen the diffusion of the godly light. It is man's practice of kindness and tzedakah that ensures that the attribute of severity and gavura will not hinder the flow of divine radiance that is to be revealed to him during prayer. Now it is well known that above there is also an attribute of gavura and simsa that serves to contract and conceal the divine light so that it will not become revealed to the lower worlds. How is it then that this illumination is nevertheless revealed below? So yes, there is an act of kindness, but on the other hand, Hashem also, there's an attribute of Gevurah. Gevurah is restraint. There's the accelerator, but then there's the brake. We all have it within us. We have a part within us that wants to give, and then we have the, the critic that says, wait a minute, maybe not. Maybe the person is not worthy, the person is not ready. Don't just give it indiscriminately. If you give something indiscriminately, it has no value. It has value. You have to earn it. You have to deserve it. You have to be a vessel to be able to receive it. So there's, there are the two voices. There's the prosecutor and there's the lawyer. There's two voices. So this chesed says, yes, let's give without any limit. But gvura could also be without limit. Gvura says, well, the person has to earn it. The person has to deserve it. Not, not, otherwise it's going to cheapen the whole thing so the question is do we deserve this revelation do we deserve to experience this love this pure love for Hashem when you experience this level of egolessness and you become absorbed in the experience of experiencing godliness Hashem's infinite transcendent self you know, it, there's nothing in the world that can compare to that experience. You feel such a love for Hashem, such a connection for Hashem. Is the person worthy? Is the person ready? Could the person absorb it? Once you introduce the attribute of Gevura, <laughs> who of us is uh, worthy? None of us will make it <laughs> to the finishing line. Even the angels are not... Uh, and Hashem is judging, even the angels are trembling. Even the angels are not fa- found in favor. Hashem could find fault in... Uh, even angels are imperfect. Once you put the spotlight, you know, God forbid, you don't, worsen on your, you don't wish it on your worst enemy. Once the media focuses, the media glare focuses on someone, oh, yeah, yeah, you could be an angel. <laughs> yeah, they get, they get, it's, it's just it's too much. And nobody is perfect. Everyone has a skeleton in the closet. Nobody, no human being is perfect. Everyone, you know. So, since there's the attribute of Gevura, therefore, we need tzedakah. If we act kindly, even if it, especially if it's a gratuitous act of kindness, the person doesn't deserve it, and we don't ask any questions, and we give tzedakah, then Hashem will, Hashem is interactive. Hashem will respond in kind. He doesn't deserve it, but give it to him anyway. But if we act in a way of gevura, we act in a way that's proper and everything is calculated and everything is 
then Hashem will start calculating with us and <laughs> we'll never get to the end of the story. <laughs> so it's, that's why you need tzedakah. You want to see Hashem's face, you want to see Hashem's smile, you want to see Hashem's kindness, you have to earn it. How do you earn it? Not by removing and making sure that you're 100% perfect, there's no negativity, because once you're under the glare, there's no such thing. Talmud says even angels were punished. Matatrin was punished. Elio was punished. Says with, with, with pulses of light. How can an angel be punished? How can an angel do sin? So it says in the commentaries, only those two angels, it says, were punished. Got a punishment, a heavenly punishment. Pulses of light, whatever that means. 60 pulses of light. They were beaten with 60 pulses of light. Because why? So it says because Elio was a human being who became an angel. And the same thing, uh, Metatrin was Chanoich, a human being who became an angel. So since he was a human being, that's why he can still be punished, even when he becomes an angel. You can imagine a human being became an angel, he never died, they, they transitioned, their physical body transitioned into become being angelic. They disappeared, I don't know, like his plane disappeared, they just disappeared into the next world. Physically, they just physically disappeared and went into the next world without dying, without leaving any body behind. So you can imagine Elio, and yet they were punished. Because when you're under the Gevura, when you're under the spotlight of Hashem, <laughs> nobody is unscathed. So that's not the answer. You should be so perfect that they're not going to find anything. It's never going to happen. It's not going to happen. But what, what could happen is if we act kindly, whether the person deserves it or not, and especially if we go beyond our nature and we push ourselves and do extra kindness, then Hashem will respond in kind. Ah, He doesn't deserve it. It's a gratuitous act of kindness. My attribute of good is telling me, no. I'll do it anyway. It says by the exodus from Egypt, Hashem took the Jews out beyond Chazaka with a strong arm. Why did it have to be with a strong arm? Because in a certain sense, he had to wrestle with his own arm, with his own arm of severity. Because the arm of justice says, the Jews don't deserve this. Why are you doing all these miracles for them? They're, they're lousy good for nothings. They reached the 49 levels of impurity. They're idolatrous. They're worshipping idols. Why are you saving them? And there's no logical answer to the question. Why are the Egyptians drowning and the Jews are being saved? They're the same. But Hashem overcame with a strong arm. He wrestled his left arm, so to speak, his verity, and he took, took us out. A pure act of kindness, pure act of love, pure act of deserving. He says, they're my children, I love them unconditionally. They deserve, they don't deserve. It doesn't matter. At this point, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. So, if we act unconditionally, and we act gratuitously to another Jew, then Hashem will react in kind. That's where Abel Lazar, imagine Abel Lazar, the great Abel Lazar. We're talking about the great Abel Lazar. Lazar Agadl. And yet, he wasn't sure, am I going to have this revelation in prayer? Am I going to see the face of Hashem? I'm not so sure. Once you're under the spotlight, I don't know. <laughs> Even the greatest angels don't walk away. But he ran to find a poor person and did a pure act of kindness. And he didn't look in his budget that I already meet my quota of 10%, 20%. He just ran and gave, and gave. Therefore, he was certain, as the Pasuk says, when you approach Hashem B'Tzedek, 
you're guaranteed, I know that I'm going to see Hashem's face because Hashem reacts in kindness, interactive. Hashem will also do a gratuitous act of kindness and illuminate my soul, illuminate my thoughts, allow me to taste and to experience and to lose myself and be absorbed in this experience and lose my ego and become one with Hashem. However, everything depends on man's arousal from below. For if man conducts himself with kindness by bestowing life and chesed through acts of charity that sustain the unfortunate, he arouses its equivalent above so that the divine kindness and illumination are bestowed upon him as well. For as our sages of blessed memory said, with the measure of a man meets, it shall be measured to him. When an individual acts in a kindly manner towards his fellow, he will be treated with kindness from above. In the language of Kabbalah, it's arousal from below evokes an arousal from above. And the language of the Talmud, measure for measure. Because it's a relationship. It's not just a mechanical event. You don't just press a button and something happens. It's, it's you open your heart, it's like in a real relationship. You open your heart and the other person responds. However you feel about the other person, that's how the other person is going to feel about you. Your heart is open, the other person responds. Your heart is shut, shut down, <laughs> the other person also responds. So Hashem, it's, a, it's a live relationship. It's not just mechanical. It's a real connection. So whatever we bring to the relationship, Hashem responds a thousandfold, but in the same vein. It's measure for measure. It's not really measure for measure because really Hashem's, Hashem gives according to His measure. But He responds in the same way. You smile, He smiles. You're kind, He's kind. You're generous and He's generous to you. So when we act with tzedakah, pure act of chesed, Hashem also does according to His measure an act of chesed. And He gives us a, a piece of Himself, a, a revelation of Himself. But now the Alter Rebbe is going to ask a question still doesn't make any sense. How could our act of tzedakah, our act of chesed, evoke such a powerful response, a revelation of God's transcendent and infinite self? It doesn't make sense. Because when you say measure for measure, it has to be something that's commensurate, something that's in the realm. Like our kindness, Hashem's kindness. Of course, you can't compare because our kindness is a human, finite kindness. Hashem's kindness is an infinite kindness. But nevertheless, it's still in the same realm. But something that's not even in the same realm, how could our act of chesed evoke the revelation of Hashem's infinite transcendent self that completely transcends all of the worlds? Not only our world. There's no connection between us and Hashem's infinite self. There's a way Hashem creates the worlds, and you have parallel worlds, parallel universes. So all the worlds are parallel. So of course you can't compare the world of emanation. It's the divine world, divine kindness, divine personality, divine wisdom. But nevertheless, there's wisdom and there's wisdom. There's a human wisdom, down to the lowest level of wisdom in our earth, in our world. And there's divine wisdom. But nevertheless, they're still called wisdom. So even though they're like light years away, how can you compare our wisdom to divine wisdom? But they're both called wisdom. There's some connection. Divine kindness to human kindness. So you can say measure for measure. When a person acts kindly, Hashem responds with a divine kindness, which of course is 
infinite times greater than our. But Hashem, Hashem's infinite self, transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. There's no, there's no point of contact. There's no relationship. Like we discussed in the previous letter, you can't even say Hashem is above. Saying Hashem is above means there's some relationship. To be above and below, there has to be some connection between above and below. But something is no relationship. For example, you, we could say that a sound, you can't see sound. You can't see the air you breathe. Aroma. You can't see the smell, the air you breathe in, the scent. You can't see the music that you're taking in. You can see... But to say, even to say, that I can't hear a voice, because it's something spiritual. Sound waves are spiritual. You can't see a voice. You, can't, you don't see the ear that you breathe. But nevertheless, in some way, they're not purely spiritual. Because the sound waves is something that I do hear and I do absorb with my ears. The ear is something I can smell with my nose. But because it's not tangible, so therefore I can't see it. I don't see the sound waves and I don't see the ear. But nevertheless, it's still something tangible. So it makes sense to say, poetically, that it's something that's so spiritual that I cannot see it. But something that's purely spiritual, it doesn't even make sense to say. Two plus two is four, so spiritual I can't see it. There's no connection. It's not something physical. It's a pure concept, pure ideas. It exists everywhere. It's beyond time. It's beyond space. It's an idea. It doesn't even make sense to say, even even poetically, you want to describe how profound the concept is. It's so profound, I can't even touch it. I can't see. It, It... it doesn't tell me anything about the idea. It's so beyond. It's not even the same realm. It's not even the same ballpark. There's no connection between touch and an idea. It's different worlds. You don't understand an idea by touching it. So therefore, it doesn't make sense to say, you know, I, I, I understand it. Just like it doesn't make sense to say I, I was able to grab the idea, grasp, grab the idea with my fingers. It's equally nonsensical to say that the idea is so profound that I, I can't grab it with my finger. I can't see it. There's no connection. So, when you're talking about Hashem's infinite self, Hashem is so transcendent. Hashem is so beyond the whole frame of reference of the universe. All the entire universe, heaven and earth including the world of emanation, all the worlds and the ten sefirot, and all these definitions and descriptions and concepts, ideas. Hashem is so beyond numbers. Hashem is so beyond words. Hashem is so beyond all these finite, limited descriptions, definitions. There's no relationship. There's no connection. So 
you can't even say Hashem is above. Hashem is beyond. Be above, beyond. There's, there's no relation. We're not in, there's no connection. We're not in the same universe. So if you were to say that through our act of kindness we draw down Hashem's kindness, the kindness of the world of emanation, fine. You can say, okay, measure for measure. Of course, what measure for measure? It's our measure for Hashem's measure. But nevertheless, there's some link. Kindness to kindness. Of course, it's infinite kindness versus very limited, finite human kindness. But there's some connection. But here we're talking about to see Hashem's face. Hashem's inner self. His infinite self. His transcendent self, which completely transcends the world. So much so, and there's a, a slight revelation of it amongst the angels. There's this commotion, there's this tumult. They become completely lost and absorbed. Because they can't absorb it, because it's completely transcendent. And the only response is you lose yourself, you become completely egoless, you become completely, forget about yourself, you lose all sense of time and all sense of space and all sense of I. You become completely absorbed in this experience of experiencing the infinite. So, how could our act of tzedakah evoke Hashem's face, Hashem's infinite transcendence? no connection there's no relationship doesn't make any sense there's not even the most tenuous connection between our act of kindness and Tadaka and Hashem revealing his, his face it would appear however that this divine response is not the same measure such an individual would appear to deserve only that the life of the world to come be granted to him corresponding to his bestowal of life in this world so the world to come after 120 years when the soul leaves the body the world to come the soul gets to experience in this world the soul is trapped in the body so no matter how much we learn how much we understand how much we know to us it's all abstract spirituality is abstract we can hardly barely relate to anything spiritual we've never seen our soul we relate to something tangible something physical we can experience our five senses but anything is beyond that we can know it we can be aware of it we can study it the mind-body connection, but we don't, we don't know what it is. We don't understand it. Just like many physical phenomena, we don't understand electricity. We just know the effects. We see the effects of electricity, but we have no clue what it is. So we know there's a soul, even though we can't see the soul. We don't, we don't, know, we don't know what it is. We see the mind-body connection. We don't understand it. We just see the facts that the soul and the body ha- relate to each other and connect with each other and have an effect on each other. So we see the phenomena, we see the end result. We can't see Hashem, but we know that Hashem exists. We, we see all the results, we see us, we see the world. We see the... But we can't relate to anything spiritual. It's only after 120 years when the soul leaves the body, there the soul experiences. Everything becomes an experience. And that's why it's so infinitely pleasurable. For the soul, it's blissful. It's the Garden of Eden to experience you know we do it this world is a very mechanical world but we don't really to experience it when the soul is freed then it can go beyond the parable and see the inside the neshama so that's what the soul gets to experience but nevertheless what's the soul experiencing? it's a spiritual experience spirituality is also a creation just like God created the physical he created the spiritual God created the body, He created the soul. It's still finite. The soul is also finite. Experience is also finite. But here, we just get the body, the mechanical, the external, the superficial. 
after 120 years in the Garden of Eden, we get to experience, we get to be spiritual, we get to the soul, pure bliss, but all the soul experiences is really a glimmer of a ray of Hashem. But not Hashem Himself. Hashem Himself is infinite. Hashem Himself is beyond grasp. The soul cannot grasp it. It's beyond... It's infinite. It's undefined. So if we were to say that as a result of our kindness, measure for measure, that we do a little act of kindness, we give a penny to tzedakah in this world, and you know what? The reward is in the world to come, the soul experiences Hashem's a, gl- a glimmer of a ray of Hashem's light, and the soul gets to bask in that gray light and enjoy it and experience it in pure bliss. Then it makes sense. Because even though it's such a tenuous connection, physical giving a penny to the world to come, which is beyond anything we can imagine, Nevertheless, there's a connection. It is one world, and there's another world, a parallel world, a parallel universe. There's a material, physical world, and then there's the world to come, which is a purely spiritual world. A world of light, a world of pure experience. It's indescribable. All the pleasures of this world don't even come close to one moment of pleasure. All people who have near-death experiences describe it. They experience the light, and it's just indescribable, the pleasure and the ecstasy that they experience. One moment of making that transition from this world to the next. And this is what the soul experiences every moment, and it continues from moment to moment to go from level to level. So then it would make sense. It's measure for measure. Of course, you can't compare Hashem's measure to our measure, but there's some relationship, some connection. But here we're saying that in prayer, the soul gets to experience Hashem's infinite light, His face, his inner self, his transcendent self, that not only transcends our world, it transcends the angels, it transcends even the divine world of emanation, it completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. And it's that light that illuminates our darkness, like water that comes from the highest point and flows all the way to the lowest, to us, human beings, flesh and blood, physical. In this world, we get to experience and to taste godliness and to lose ourselves, lose our egos and be absorbed in this experience. What's the connection between our act of goodness and kindness to this infinite self, Hashem's infinite self? It doesn't seem measure for measure. The appropriate reward for man's bestowal of physical life in his world should surely be a corresponding bestowal of spiritual life in a higher world, the world to come. But not that he be granted the life that comes from the illumination of the actual light of God to illumine and enlighten his darkness in the service of the heart meaning prayer. For the latter is a greater level of a higher level of repentance, Shubhila, as is well known, and as such is far superior to his action. As we learned in Yigeret HaTshuvah, Alter Rebbe explains there, there's two levels of Teshuvah. There's a lower level of Teshuvah, and there's a higher level of Teshuvah. And the higher level of Teshuvah, he explains, is... Nothing to do with sin. Lower level of truth is you sinned, you created a scar, you messed up, and you have to fix, you have to mend, to correct. But the higher level of teshuva is that this is the soul's mission to return to Hashem. Our mission, all the days of our lives, is to return to Hashem. Because the soul is, it says, Hashem breathed into Adam's nostrils. Hashem breathed. And that's the soul. 
soul is Hashem's breath. That's what's unique about man. Unlike the rest of creation, even the angels were created through Hashem's speech. Hashem spoke and it came into being. Hashem blew into the nostrils. So A, breath versus speech. Speech is very external. Breath comes from within. Speech is without. You can talk and talk and talk. But when you breathe, you expel the ear from within you. And that's why you, you, you have to stop. You can't. Because it's coming from within you. Also, all of creation, including the angels in the heavens, Hashem spoke and it came into being. Here, the breath itself, Hashem's breath, is the soul of man. That He said, He commanded, and it came into being. The breath itself is, we are a piece of Hashem. But nevertheless, it's when Hashem breathed and blew from Himself, so to speak. So it's like the breath that leaves you. Yes, it comes from within you, but the breath leaves you. Where was that breath before you blew? It was, it was inseparable from you. So the idea of Teshuvah is the soul is trying to go back to its original source. The soul in this world is where God breathed and blew from Himself, so it became in a certain sense like separated from Himself. The soul's mission in this world is to return back to its original source. The way it was in the breath, when the breath was inseparable with its source. When it was completely one with Hashem. Nothing to do with sin. But to overcome any separation. To become completely, completely egoless. Become completely united and absolutely unified with Hashem. That's the higher level of Teshuvah. And as the Maggid of Mezirch said, the word Teshuvah, if you turn the letter around, comes from the word Busha. Shame. Nobody blushes anymore. <laughs> shame. What's, what's, what does it mean, shame? And this is the two levels of the lower level of truth and the higher level of truth. You have your relationship with a king. This king and his subjects. Without the subjects, the king is not a king. Ein mela belayam. There's a relationship between the king and the subjects. And, as the halacha says, we just learned today in the morning in the kailah, we learned today, what comes to the Megillah, that everyone should try to come here the Megillah and shul. I'm talking of Megillah, by the way, hopefully you'll all join us at our Purim party, Sunday, Sunday evening, or you can eat and all you can drink. Um, it says, why? Because, B'roiv am hadras melech. The greater the multitude, the greater the king. It's the people who make the king. If a king is a king of Luxembourg, <laughs> it's a handful of people. It's a small king. <laughs> if you're a king of China, you're a big king. A billion, point three subjects as we speak is another million. A big king. The greater the nation, the greater the multitude, you make the king greater. So there's a connection between the king and the people. So you can't say that the, the subjects don't exist in relationship to the people. Of course the subjects exist. The subjects are subject themselves to the king. That's what makes them a king. They subject themselves to the king. They nullify themselves. They bow down in front of the king. And that's why he's the king and they're the subjects. And, but they make him the king. It's not that you're standing in front of the king. It's not like you lose your... If you don't exist. What do you mean I don't exist? <laughs> If not the subject, the king doesn't exist. The subjects make the king. 
but it's a very humble relationship. The subjects subject themselves to the king, and the king is elevated and royal, and they bow down in front of the king, but there's a connection. But then there's a higher level. And that's why Hashem is called king. Hashem creates the world. It's with Hashem's attribute of royalty. He creates all of the world. Hashem is our king and we are his subjects. There's a relationship, there's a connection. We subject ourselves, we bow down, we acknowledge Hashem as our sovereignty. But the greater, the more, then Hashem is greater. Hashem's royalty is greater. Look how great and how varied... Hashem's creations and the infinite amount of angels and the worlds and parallel universes and all praying to God and all subjecting themselves to God. This makes Hashem king. Hashem is royal. Hashem sits on His throne. So you can't say the worlds don't exist in relationship to that level. Listen to Hashem. We exist, but we subject ourselves to Hashem. Then it's a healthy relationship. When we know Hashem is king and we are proudly subject ourselves to Him. But then there's a higher level. When you're standing in the presence of greatness. You're standing next to Einstein. You could be a physics professor in Princeton. You, know, you want to you wanna bury yourself. Because you realize you don't even exist. In his universe, you, you, you're nothing. You're literally nothing. All your brilliance, you and the cat probably have the same understanding of physics in comparison to real understanding. You're standing in the presence of the Rebbe. You just completely lose any sense of self. You don't know where to bury yourself. That's busha. Busha is shame. And that's the sign of a Jew. We're compassionate. We're kind. But where does it all come from? Because we have shame. What a shame. Not shame that I'm embarrassed of what I did. I'm embarrassed of the skeletons in my closet. I'm ashamed of all the sins that I've done. That's... That too, but <laughs> but it's much deeper than that. It's it's my existence. What, what, what am I doing? Who am I? I'm nothing. You realize how nothing we are when you're standing in the presence of the Rebbe, standing in the presence of the Balshemta, standing in the presence of the Alter Rebbe. Well, what the the, the, the Rebbe? And today, the previous Rebbe came. Fidik Rebbe came to America forty and uh, seventy-four years ago. Tess Adar was the exact same day, Tuesday, Tuesday, the 9th of Adar, Bayes, Tov Shin, 1940. Came in the boat, and that's when he announced, he announced on the Upper, upper, upper West Side, and he announced, he stayed in the Greystone Hotel for a few months, on the Upper West Side, it's still there. Mm-hmm. I think it looks the same as it looked then. <laughs> <laughs> and he announced that uh, he founding a yeshiva, a Hasidic yeshiva, and he said his famous words, America is not different. America is going to become the new center of Yiddishkeit. The same Yiddishkeit. God hasn't changed. The Torah hasn't changed. Mashiach hasn't changed. It's all the same. Good old-fashioned Judaism, Torah, 3,800 years, unchangeable, just as relevant today as ever before. These were the revolutionary words that transformed the world. And the whole Baltruvian movement actually started right here in America. This whole transformation of 5,000 Chabad houses all started right here. So this is all from today. 74 years ago, that's when it all started. And when you're standing in the presence of greatness, you, you feel like you're completely egoless. What I? What, I'm nothing. You want to bury yourself. Well, what, what am I doing here? That's tshuva. That's busha. That's an inner shame. That's an egoless. You completely lose yourself. 
You completely absorb. This is what a true experience is in prayer. The higher level of unity, the higher level of teshuvah, where we come one with Hashem. We're not even the breath of Hashem, the way it's separated from Hashem. We're not a separate entity. We become completely unified with Hashem the way we were, the, the soul was in its origin, rooted in Hashem's essence. Before it was even separate as a breath. Even if the breath of Hashem, but then there was a level before it was even separate. It was part of Hashem, inseparable from Hashem. That's the level of the soul. That's what a soul experiences doing prayer. Prayer is a time of teshuvah, of return, of connecting on that level. So this is beyond the world to come. The world to come is a spiritual world, a spiritual experience. But this is beyond experience, it's beyond spiritual, it's beyond the world, it's beyond the whole frame of reference. We become completely nullified before Hashem. Completely one with Hashem. And that we should be able to experience that today, here and now, when we pray today on the Upper East Side, 2014, this is, a, this is a kindness from Hashem. This is something that's so beyond... So there's nothing that we can do to evoke that. What's the connection between our giving tzedakah, as great as it is, and as wonderful as it is, and as beautiful as it is, as moving and touching and inspiring? What's the connection? Our giving tzedakah should evoke such a response from Hashem, such a powerful response that transcends all the world. It's even greater than the world to come. Makes no sense. And Hashem does respond. Personal. So as much as far surpasses all the life of the world to come, as our sages of blessed memory taught, better one hour of repentance and good deeds in this world than all life of the world to come. So the simple explanation is that one moment in this world you have the opportunity to do Torah mitzvot. Once a person dies, it's all over. The marketplace is over. You left the marketplace. You can't invest anymore. Markets are closed. <laughs> closed for business. In this world, every moment is an opportunity. You can invest, you can, you can do, you can handle, you can... After 120, too late. Time's up. You've got to give in the results. That's it. Whatever you've earned, you've earned. Whatever you've invested, you've invested. No more. The, the regrets won't help you. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It doesn't. It's too late. This is the time to do. Time of action. That's a simple meaning. One moment in this world is more than the world to come. And the world to come is too late. You can't do Torah mitzvah anymore. In this world you can do Torah mitzvah. But Hasidah says no, much deeper. That one moment in this world is superior than all the experiences in the world to come. One moment of Torah mitzvah in this world. Why? Because the world to come, all you're experiencing is really a glimmer of a ray. But yet, yes, you get to experience it. And that's why the, it's blissful and the ecstasy is indescribable. You know, we keep Shabbos here. The soul in heaven experiences Shabbos. You can't compare experiencing. We don't experience. It's very rare for us to experience. You know, we go through the... We, go, we, us, we live in a very mechanical world. We go through things. But it's very difficult for us to truly, truly experience something. Because we're trapped in our bodies. We're limited to our bodies. We can't, get, we can't escape our bodies, so we're limited. We, we live in a mechanical world. We can learn, we can study, we can think about it, but it's all very abstract to us. 
the soul no longer has a body, sheds its body. The soul is, lives a life of pure experience. So everything the soul doesn't just learn about something, it experiences it. And it's like, it's, like, it's like taking a cartoon and suddenly becoming three-dimensional and, and, and sound and color. It's like taking a dull picture and suddenly it comes to life. Uh, HD, uh, what's, what's the latest uh, version they have? And it suddenly becomes life. It's colorful. It's alive. The soul, pure experience. Everything becomes an experience. And it's, it's, it's beyond anything we can imagine which the soul can't achieve that while souls live alive in the body. Even our greatest experiences that we do achieve is, is, is pales in comparison to the experience that the soul will have after 120 years and goes to its eternal rest. But what is the soul experiencing? It's experiencing. It's a spiritual experience. It's experiencing. But it's all, all it is is a glimmer of a ray of Hashem. It cannot touch the essence of Hashem. Versus only in this world do we have the ability to touch Hashem, to come face to face with Hashem. That's why the soul can't wait to come into this world. The soul is yearning, and the way the souls are waiting in heaven to have the opportunity to come into this world. For the soul, it's an opportunity to come into this world, because only by coming into this world could we come face to face with Hashem. Ani b'tzedek through tzedakah ech zefanecha I have the opportunity to see your face. And I drew Davins. He has the opportunity to see his face. Alter Rebbe would always say that Samot Tzedek says he, always, he would always overhear his grandfather Alter Rebbe say in moments of ecstasy he says in Yiddish he would say Tashem Yere Vilnish I don't want your lower level of Ganeden, Garden of Eden. I don't even want your higher level of Ganeden. All I want is you yourself. And he would roll on the ground. He would say that. In ecstasy. In the world to come, what are you getting? You're getting a, a glimmer, a ray. That's, that's not what he wanted. I want you. And the only way, the only place you're going to see Hashem and come face to face with Hashem and contact Hashem's essence is only in this world. That's how precious this world is. And the truth is, every Jew has that ability. As the Rabbi Rashab said that his father, the Rabbi Marash, told him, every Jew is literally a piece of Hashem's essence. So every Jew has that ability to touch Hashem's essence while we're in this world. The problem is our ego gets in the way. We don't sense it. We don't experience it. We do the mitzvah and we don't realize what we're doing. We do a sin and we don't realize what we're doing. We're like blind, deaf, and dumb. Completely insensitive. You know, there's an illness. People can't feel. What's it called? And they, they, they step on glass. I mean, People with diabetes, patients have a big problem, you know, when they, they stop sensing neuropathy. And you stop, you don't, feel, you don't feel anything. You can be stepping on glass, you can be bleeding to death. Usually if you're doing something, the body is signaling to you. You're in pain. It's a signal, something is wrong. You know, you better heal. Stop. Whatever you're doing, stop. But imagine a person that's killing himself, he doesn't, even really, he doesn't feel anything. <laughs> He's obliviously stepping on glass and bleeding to death. That's, a, that's our problem with spiritual neuropathy. 
that we don't feel. We sin, we don't realize what we're doing. We do a mitzvah, we don't realize what we're doing. But the truth is, we have, in this world, by doing Torah, mitzvah, tshuva, we come face to face with the essence of Hashem. That's how precious this world is. That's what the ethics of our fathers, that's what the mission is telling us. It's, it's more precious a moment of tshuva and good deeds in this world and all of the world to come put together on one hand one moment in the world to come is worth more than all of this world because one moment of pleasure pure pleasure and ecstasy that the soul experiences in the world to come outweighs all the pleasures if you live like King Solomon and you live for a thousand years and you are able to indulge in every pleasure imaginable in this world all those pleasures would not come to one moment of pleasure of experiencing the light and experiencing what the soul experiences pure spiritual pleasure, pure bliss that the soul experiences after 120 years. But on the other hand, the soul is limited, the soul is finite, the soul is a created being. Just like the body is created, the soul is also created. One moment of Torah mitzvot outweighs all the pleasures and ecstasies because all we're getting there is just a glimmer of a ray. In this world, through tshuva and good deeds, we're touching Hashem we come face to face with the essence of Hashem. So the question is, how is it possible that through our act of tzedakah, Rabbi Lazar giving a penny, finding a poor person and giving a penny, that should evoke the, the ability to see Hashem's face, the ability to taste and to experience and to become absolutely unified with the absolute unity of Hashem that completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the whole universe, not only this physical world, but even the world to come, and even the world of divine emanations. How is it possible? And that's why Hasidim used to spend so much time davening. Chabad Hasidim were known for davening for hours. Because they want to see, they want to see Hashem. This was Mashiach for them. We can see Hashem face to face. Why did you use the past tense? Used to. Okay. Okay. It feels like it. It feels like it. It's like. It's like the. Right. The rabbi says, you know, he speaks so long. He doesn't, sp- doesn't speak so long, but it feels like it. <laughs> um, yeah, halavai. <laughs> we'll, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that. Um, because they want to see face-to-face. They want to come face-to-face. There was a chassid. It's actually Nayom Yom. The rabbi compiled. There was a chassid. He used to daven shachers. He would start at dawn, going to the mikveh, learning and meditating and reflecting and saying every word and davening and singing and crying and expert. He would daven till mincha. <laughs> the last time, he, and then he would daven mincha. <laughs> and mincha would go straight into the mitzvah. So it was like non-stop, a marathon, tri- triathlon. Shachris, mincha, mitzvah. Then he would come home. You have to take care of eat and sleep and learn and anything else. What's he looking for? He wants to come face to face. They ask him, what are you looking for? He wants to come face to face with the essence of Hashem. 
The only time you come face to face with the essence of Hashem is through tshuva, by prayer. And good, and maizum tayvim and mitzvahs. wants to see Hashem. The Rebbe Rashab says, a fool, a chassid who's a fool. And he says it's a contradiction in terms. How could a fool be a chassid? How could a chassid be a fool? But there are such things. A chassid, a fool, pushes off the moment of, of finding pleasure in Hashem in the next world. He says, in the next world, in the afterlife. After I die in Gan Eden, I'll have time to experience bliss and find bliss in Hashem. But a chassid doesn't push off. Especially a chassid. Push off in the afterlife. The afterlife is nothing. What's the afterlife in comparison to davening in this world? The pleasure that I'll experience in the afterlife is just a glimmer of a ray. It's a purely spiritual experience. Pure ecstasy surpasses anything we can experience in the physical material world. But it's just a glimmer. I don't want a glimmer. I don't want a ray. I don't want your Ganeidin Atachtan. I don't want your Ganeidin Elyon. I want you yourself, Hashem Himself. And the only way to find Hashem and to experience that joy and to be, become lost and absorbed and absolutely united in the absolute unity of Hashem is only in prayer and tshuva, the higher level of tshuva, to return back to our essence where we're completely unified with Hashem. You can only experience it during davening. That's why Hasidim, especially the Babaj Hasidim, spend so much time davening. Because this is the moment I can come face to face with the essence of Hashem. So I'm a fool, I'm going to push it off at later, tomorrow, the afterlife. What afterlife? Now, here and now, today. I want to touch the essence of Hashem. What else is there? What else is this all about? I'm going to get sidetracked, distracted. It's a gay, it's a show, it's a nice show. It's, that's not... I want the king himself. I don't want his trappings. His I want Hashem himself. And the only place I'm going to find Hashem is in davening. That's why Chosid would daven deeply and be absorbed in the davening. And try to experience some of that that the angels experience, overwhelmed and with a, with, with a tumult because with Hashem's kindness we're able to experience Hashem's infinite revelation of Hashem's infinite self is himself and be lost and absorbed in that experience and become completely egoless and united with Hashem. This is what we live for. This is our goal. There is nothing else. So when through tshuva and good deeds, this is it. I'm not looking for anything else. It's all here. I don't have to embellish. I'm not trying to, you don't have to improve Judaism. You don't have to embellish anything. Everything we have, it's right here. Put on tefillin. Put up the mezuzah. Learn Torah, daven, give tzedakah, this is it. There's nothing else. This is a taste of Mashiach, like we learned in the previous letters. To experience godliness. Explained elsewhere at length what the world to come is but a glimpse and a reflection of the divine presence. This leaves us with an apparent disproportion that the practice of tzedakah before one's prayers should result in the vastly superior revelation of tshuva, ilah, during prayer. So that's the question, and we're going to remain with this question. And, um, you know, the Hasidic questions, it's okay to sleep in these questions. It says when the great rabbis would uh, study philosophy, even Jewish philosophy, they would study the reverse. First they would study the answers, and then they would work their way back to the question. Because God forbid, you study the question, and then you get an emergency call, and you got to run. 
So all night and all day you're going to be f- stuck with a question, questioning Hashem. <laughs> Study the answer and then you work your way back to the question. But Hasidic questions, these questions, it's okay. You can, you can sleep with these questions. It's like a question, the ultimate question, if Hashem exists, how do I exist? If all there is is Hashem, then there is no ego, there is no I. Is this world an illusion? So even if you call the wave an emergency, <laughs> your whole day you'll be walking around, maybe I don't exist, okay, not so bad, not so terrible. No one will get hurt. <laughs> it's actually quite healthy. Uh, then you get the answer, no, you do exist, whatever that means. And so these questions are okay, but please God, next week, and this is, he's going to answer the question that he started out with, why by tzedakah uses, the Pasuk uses the idea, the analogy of planting a seed. And why we say in davening, by planting the tzedakah, this will yield the deliverance. And it's a very powerful point that the Rebbe is going to make. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.